everyone, my name is Allison and I'm here with Charles and this is the fourth episode of the Faith Misunderstood podcast brought to you by the River Church in New York City. If you're listening here live right now, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us. Please let us know that you're here in the chat. Tell us where you're listening from. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so each week we tackle impossible questions about one topic. Today's topic is LGBTQ. If you have any questions on that topic that you'd like us to address, feel free to submit them in the chat. All right, so let's dive right in. Hi, Allison. <laughs> so the first question is, is it a sin to identify as LGBTQ or to be in a same-sex relationship? Uh, yeah, what a hard question. It's a <laughs> difficult question. It has been asked by so many people. Uh, especially recently, and it causes so much anguish to so many people and families. So it's a, a tough question for many, many families. Um, it's LGBTQ lifestyle has been viewed with prejudice and in, in our country uh, by the uh, Christian uh, community. Uh, recently, it feels like the majority of the people are a lot more tolerant and accepting of the LGBTQ lifestyle, but still the Christian community is opposed to it. But it's not just our country, it's all over the world, right? So majority of people around the world, um, from east to west, uh, seems to consider almost like a LGBTQ lifestyle with uh, different measure, different levels of prejudice and opposition. Um, China does not recognize same-sex uh, relationship. I come from the East and I can tell you there's a tremendous cultural uh, prejudice and view of the LGBTQ as something wrong and something sinful, uh, as well as the Middle East and conservative uh, communities in Latin America or Africa. Um, so it's just been viewed as something wrong by many people and I feel largely it's been cultural. That there is this cultural kind of feel or instinct to feel like there is man and there's women, there's male and there's female and people, or large numbers of people don't like blurring of that line. So, you know, aside from a few Bible passages, there are about five Bible passages, in my opinion, that directly address this issue. Um, but, you know, to be honest, there are many, many issues, like, you know, Bible's commands and exhortations to physically discipline your children, you know, comes up about that many times, or other times, it, it doesn't feel like it's just so much about the Bible, because if it comes up only five times, it's not like a major focus of the Bible. And Christians, by and large, ignore or has the ability to ignore issues that only comes up a few times. It does feel like, you know, some people, you know, offensively says things like, you know, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. There is this sense of, you know, desire not to blur male and female and kind of have a prejudice against this lifestyle. But let's really think through what's actually true scientifically. Uh, the 
the male, the gender is determined by genetics, DNA, XY, XX, you know, things like that. And, you know, it's fairly clear that you're on a spectrum. There is anywhere from 1% to 2% of people born with intersex traits, um, which means that genetically and physically in your body, you have traits of both gender. And in fact, about one-tenth of that, 0.1 to 0.2% of the people, are born with uh, ambiguous genitalia, uh, like both, you know, male and female, and things like that. So that is in nature, you're born with it. And so that's quite a lot of people. We're talking 500,000 people. And in the past, uh, we might not have recognized how prevalent it is because parents were asked when kids were born with both uh, traits, both gender traits, parents were asked by the hospital which one they should remove. And they would remove one and then the person would live as male or female depending on what was removed. Recently, my understanding is hospitals don't do that anymore because they started getting sued by a number of people who said, you got rid of the wrong one. Right, it's 50-50, right? I mean, out of half a million people, half of them, 50-50, are living with the wrong, you know, gender, <laughs> you know, genitals. And so, when you consider facts like that, not just prejudice, not just this vague sense, there's man, there's female, and you know, man is man, female. No, just think about what is actually scientifically true. There are many people. I mean, you can't just dismiss it because it's like one or two people. These are, across the world, we are talking millions of people. If the wrong one got removed, you have to even ask the question, what is even same-sex relationship at that point for these millions of people? Right? Because they are actually born as a female, but they are living with a male body parts. It's the wrong one got removed. And if that's happening, then are they supposed to marry a female or a male? What is a same-sex marriage at that point to begin with? In the eyes of God, as a Christian, in the eyes of God, the person needs to, like if, if you're really a female, but are living with the wrong uh, physical part, then you need to marry a man in the eyes of God. But in the eyes of the world and in the church and the man, uh, in the society, that will be seen as a same-sex marriage. And so what is a person supposed to do at that point, right? And so even the the word same-sex relationship is not as clear and it's very difficult to use that word to begin with. It's blurred. You can't really use it in a precise way. And so when it becomes impossible to even define what is a same-sex relationship for millions of people, you have to really ask the question, it doesn't have any meaning to ask whether that's wrong or sinful. It's very difficult. It's not as simple as people make it out to be, like man is man, woman is woman. 
is so clear, let's go. That's a very ignorant position. That's ignoring facts, like the earth is flat. Right? You go out and look, earth is flat. How can you deny that the earth is flat? You could say that. But when I go to Korea, we fly over Alaska. <laughs> right? I mean, I've actually got out because they stopped in Alaska. It was Alaska. It was very cold. <laughs> and if it was flat earth, I cannot go to Korea flying over Alaska. I have to go through LA. And so it becomes like that. Right? And so is it a sin? I would push back and say, it's impossible to even ask that question. I mean, seriously, if you can't really define the word same-sex relationship with confidence, how do you ask a loaded, a toxic, and potentially very dangerous question, like, is it a sin to be in same-sex relationship? That is just very difficult in my mind. All right, so given that, like, how are we supposed to think about the Bible passages that refer to the word homosexuality um, and seem to condemn LGBTQ? Uh, how should we think about those? Right. So, as I mentioned, in the Christian world that I belong to as a Christian pastor, this is what leads Christians to say, this is a, a Bible issue, this is staying faithful to the Bible, I'm trying to be integrous with the Bible. And so I have to make a stance, even if it's a mean thing or hurtful thing to do, I stand on the Bible. I've had many people who say things like that. Uh, so there are, in my opinion, five passages in the Bible that directly address this issue. Two in the Old Testament, three, uh, two in the Old, uh, three in the New. And there are a lot of debates about the word uh, as the Bible would refer to as a homosexuality in the Bible itself. Uh, in fact, there is a recent documentary that came out in 1940, uh, it's called 1946, the documentary that just came out. And this documentary is about how in 1946, a bunch of theologians decided to translate that word as a homosexual when it wasn't used that way before. So the documentary contends that that was the first time that actually that word came into the Bible as a translation. Um, I haven't watched the documentary and I haven't done extensive study on it. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because there is room to argue and debate about what these words actually mean. There is a lot of scholarly writings that I know of that argue that these passages refer to things like cultic temporal prostitution or pederasty or forced rape, um, ISIS cult in Rome, uh, referring to the Roman passage. And there's a lot of scholarly writings that talk about how to precisely understand these words, you have to understand the context of what the Bible writers were trying to address. And when you look at that, that that is what is going on. And so there's a fierce debate about what these words actually mean. Um, if you're interested, you should look into it to draw your own conclusions about these words. But the point here is that there is room for argument about what even these words mean in the Bible. But more than that, um, my feeling is 
it comes up only about five times. And there are a lot of other issues that comes up about as frequently in the Bible that we have really ignored or changed our minds on. Like for example, physically disciplining your children, like beating them, like sparing the rod. Uh, you can't do that. The Bible exhorts you to beat up your kids, to discipline them. Does any Christian these days stand up and say, I have to stay faithful to the Bible so I will beat up my kids? I don't think anyone does that. <laughs> or they will go to jail. <laughs> right? Things have changed. For 1900 years, that was how the culture accepted loving parents' behavior. No more. Why? Because scientifically, we have come to understand that it does a lot of harm to the children, no matter what you are trying to do. So we don't do that anymore. You, in fact, we send them to jail for doing what the Bible exhorts you to do. And nobody stands up and says, I have to be faithful to the Bible. Or slavery, or any number of issues that comes up a few times in the Bible that Christians have no longer, they just don't pay attention ignore it, or outright go against it, but don't really care about it. But LGBTQ, for some reason, has become a lightning rod, and it is very sad to me, because every generation seems to have a, a bugaboo of an issue, and they do things like this. In the, days of, in the days of Jesus, it was Sabbath. That was the biggest issue. Staying faithful to the Bible, Sabbath, is a big deal, fourth in the Ten Commandments. So people who were into the Bible were very much trying to keep it, and Jesus seemed to be very much willing to go against uh, keeping the Sabbath. He was happy to break the Sabbath, Sabbath rules and said things like, you know, Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. And so if it harms human beings, it's better to heal on the Sabbath than to kill on the Sabbath that he seems to use the, the standard of what causes harm and what brings benefits rather than stay just blindly, word by word, with all these rules in the Bible. And I believe that is why we are Christians. We follow Jesus. We are not Biblians. We don't just blindly follow every rule in the Bible, like beating up the kids. We don't do that. We follow Jesus because we use agape. We talked about this in previous podcasts. The Bible itself tells us that every command in the Bible can be summed up in one principle, agape. Agape does no harm, therefore agape is the fulfillment of everything that the Bible requires of you. I'm quoting from Romans chapter 12. And so the Bible is telling us that every command in the Bible has to pass the test of agape. Because it's the founding principle upon which every command stands on. And so it's telling us to use the principle of agape when you are deciding what to do. When it comes to morality, when it comes to uh, things like disciplining children, slavery, homosexuality, divorce, any of these issues that the church over the history has flip-flopped on, we would have been on the right side of history every single time if we had simply listened and obeyed the Bible's 
its own command to use the agape as the measuring stick and filter everything through it. Agape meaning unconditional love. Don't do any harm. You know, unconditionally be kind to all human beings and try to seek every human being's benefit. That principle has to be used in every case. And when we look at and apply that to then LGBTQ lifestyle, where is the harm? When an LGBTQ person, possibly someone born with XXY or Kleinfeld, you know, genetics, uh, is in a same-sex relationship, wants to get married and have a, a family and, and raise a good family and have a good life and contribute to society. And where is the harm in that? What harm does it cause? Doesn't cause any harm. Maybe 2,000 years ago when, you know, 10 out of 11 kids died, you know, young, and so every human being had kind of a duty to procreate, possibly. But now we are overpopulated, right? Adoption is a great thing, you know? And so there is no harm. Whereas Christians and church or all over the world, this prejudice and oppression causes a definite harm we can see and measure visibly. For example, the suicide rate in the church among the LGBTQ community is three times higher than the general population. And the general population is already much higher among the LGBTQ than the, the, the you know, general population because of the uh, society's prejudice and oppression against LGBTQ, the homelessness, the mental distress that comes from the family and the church telling you there's something wrong with you and doing things like conversion therapy and kicking you out and like not supporting you and heaping shame upon you. These things cause enormous damage, enormous damage. Over the years, I've, I've talked to so many people who are like, I mean, I myself have been subjected to shame-based culture and how I have to perform, especially in the educational field, in order to earn the approval of my family. And I've seen tremendous damage from that, myself and others. And I can only imagine just the amount of mental damage, emotional damage, spiritual damage that comes from people who love you denying who you are and telling you that who you are is wrong. That is tremendously harmful. Three times suicide rate is just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So enormous harm is being done. So I would say it's the church that is propagating and, and oppressing and hate and shame and guilt on all these people causing harm. That is sin. That I can definitely clearly stand up and say there is harm being done, so therefore it's sin. Some people might argue, but I'm standing on the Bible. How can that be sin? Well, for 1800 years, Christians used the same logic for keeping the slaves and supporting slavery and beating up on slaves and treating them like animals and saying, I'm standing on the Bible. I am righteous before God. 
disregard all the harm I'm doing to all these slaves I'm separating children from their parents I am doing all these horrible things to other human beings but hey the Bible says I can do it and so I am clearly in the clear I'm good I would say I don't think God looks at it that way I think today if anybody there are 20 million slaves today in the modern world if any Christian tried to keep a slave and say the Bible defends me I think most Christians would say no 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 I think that's evil you know keeping a child as a slave that is an epitome of evil these days and so that is no defense when you're causing harm to other people to say I'm standing on the Bible it is not going to fly. That is sad. So a question was sent in over email, and this person asked, how can an LGBTQ person reconcile their identity and their faith? So how can an LGBTQ person reconcile their identity and their faith in Christ? I would say the question comes up because of misinformation. <laughs> the question comes up because church that represents Christ has been on the wrong side of this equation and has heaped all the shame and guilt, as I said, based on just a few passages that possibly is mistranslation even and have caused enormous damage. And so I would say there is no conflict. I would say Christ welcomes you as an LGBTQ person. Who you identify as is up to you, as long as you don't harm anyone. The greatest commandment is agape, your neighbor as yourself, and agape God. Unconditionally love yourself and others as you are conditionally love God. That is our standard. And so I would say unconditionally love yourself as an LGBTQ person. And that is what the faith commands you to do. And just don't harm people. Don't harm yourself either because it's as yourself. If you don't agape yourself, you can't agape others because it's as yourself. And so don't get into this space of I hate myself, there's something wrong with me, God made a mistake, God doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, even in the animal kingdom there is LGBTQ behavior. So don't worry about it. God welcomes you. Christ dies for you. God welcomes you with open arms. There is no reason to even uh, agonize over this issue. It's the church that got it wrong. Just as in 1800s, the church told slaves that slavery is still God's will for them. And that to be faithful to God, you have to stay a slave and obey their masters, even when they are being cruel and harsh, as the Bible commands you to do. So at that point, maybe a similar question would have come up. How do I reconcile my being a slave with faith? And I would say the faith had nothing to do with slavery being supported. It's people and their greed and their 
misunderstandings and the prejudice that was creating this conflict, not faith. Faith would say, slaves, rebel. <laughs> Don't go with that. You know, when Civil War came and a whole bunch of slaves ran away and fought on the side of the North, that was the will of God, even though Southern Baptist denomination, which was founded to defend slavery, condemned it as a rebellion against God. So I would say that's just man's construct that's creating this conflict. Doesn't matter. Don't bring God into it. So don't worry about it. Another question that was sent in said, how do I overcome the hurts and triggers from my conservative evangelical family and friends? They mean well so I can forgive them, but it still takes a lot of emotional effort and therapy. What a great question. Yes, there are a lot of triggers because, you know, when you grow up in church, when you grow up with family who loves you, who have been indoctrinated into this way of thinking, they can't help but keep triggering you because to them, you're going to hell. To them, God objects to, your, to you and your lifestyle. And so, it probably can, they, cannot, they can't probably help but leak that attitude. Our beliefs really shape our actions and words. And so, if they are worried about your eternal destiny, for example, out of love for you, they will be constantly angling to like push you away <laughs> and try to constantly like put some guilt and shame or any kind of pressure to like modify your behavior. So that will come. And I think each situation is different. So I can't really give a blanket general pastoral advice. But some principle to use is that agape yourself is a very important principle. And so if you keep getting hurt, you have to put some boundary. You have to put some distance. Because you shouldn't subject yourself into a, a situation where you are constantly under attack. For example, divorce was a huge issue before LGBTQ. That was the bugaboo issue of the generation before us, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Nowadays, people in the church don't really talk about it. It's all accepted. But back then, divorced, remarried, huge issue. Terrible shame. Uh, I know of people who got kicked out of churches for getting divorced. When they got remarried, they were called adulterers. Because Jesus actually teaches that. That actually has, it actually has a stronger biblical support than LGBTQ, in my mind. That Jesus calls, has a teaching that indicates that divorce and remarriage is adultery. And so when that goes on, Imagine if you got divorced and you're remarried and you got kids. Maybe kids from previous marriage, maybe now you got new kids from the remarriage. And imagine if your family and church were constantly telling you whenever you were with them over holidays or wherever, 
They made you feel ashamed. They made you feel guilty. They made you feel like second-class citizens, sinners. Marriage is hard as it is. 50% of people get divorced. Even without any other pressures, right? It's hard to work out when two people get married. You know, you fall in love, so you get married, but then you kind of realize, well, you are two different people. And you have two different ways of living, and it's hard, enough as it is. Now you got kids on top of that. So you got six-year-old, eight-year-old. Would you continue to expose yourself to people and environment and culture where they are constantly questioning your marriage and threatening it and telling you it would be much better if you got divorced? What about your kids? What about your marriage? What about yourself? I mean, if you think of it in those terms, you would say, oh my gosh, you've you got to protect your marriage. You've got to protect your kids. You can't expose your kids to that kind of hateful environment where they could be, and it did happen, they would be called, you know, you are fruits of adultery. You are bastards. You are, you know, things like that would be said to them. And it is the duty as a parent to protect your children from that kind of abuse. Now flip that onto yourself as well, because it's much easier for us to think when, like, would I subject my kids to this kind of thing? And then the answer becomes very clear. But then when you yourself are involved, it becomes all very confusing because we have this tendency to be much harder on ourselves than our friends or our kids. But you are just as precious as your kids in the eyes of God. Jagape yourself as you are got there, your neighbor. And so you have to protect yourself. You have to protect your psyche. You, are, you, you appreciate your family, so you do probably want to keep the relationship. But if it continues to bring hurt and damage and emotional uh, burdens that require therapy, that require healing, just continual exposure is not good for your psyche. So you have to find a way to protect yourself. Henry Cloud is a Christian psychiatrist and he wrote a book called Boundaries and he has an imagery. He says that a good relationship comes from having a good boundary with a door. So it can't be just all nothing and like anything can be said and anything can be done. There has to be some boundary like a wall, but a door. So you have terms and you have times when you connect and you have terms and you have conditions and times when you can kind of retreat and be in a safe space. Yeah. And he said this is the ideal picture of a good Christian relationship. And that's actually a good book, Henry Cloud. Uh, boundaries. And so I would say, you know, ima imagine a door and a wall and try to keep yourself into the best psychological space you can be so that you can actually have a long-term relationship with your loved ones because in the long run, if you keep getting slammed, that's not going to work. In the end, it's going to explode. So you have to like have some you know, measures 
And you know, you can ask our pastoral staff for your individual situations and what to do, but that's a general principle I would generally add. Here's a question that came in through Instagram. Are there ways that allies can help LGBTQ individuals to feel loved and accepted by Jesus? Yes. Uh, allies can help LGBTQ community to feel loved and accepted by Jesus by words and action. And so, you know, allies should take on this attitude that Jesus fully welcomes them. There is, there is nothing <laughs> that should get in the way. And so, you know, affirm who they are. Affirm their lifestyle. You know, um, imagine if you have a dear friend and they got divorced by some, for some reason. Who knows? Maybe there was physical abuse, maybe there was... Who knows? Maybe there's addiction, or it's just people grow apart, whatever. And now they are remarried, and they have kids, and they are in your life. How would you, you know, relate to them, right? If they, if you still love them and you are still in relationship with them, you support them. You support their marriage. You don't. It doesn't even enter your mind to start attacking their new marriage. Right? That's not a friendly thing to do. You're not a friend when you do that. And so now apply that to LGBTQ community. And bring them to churches like ours that have this kind of clarity and theology so that they themselves feel very clearly affirmed and try to set the record straight, you know, using documentaries, using the fact that people have translated that word differently over time. And finally, using the arguments that I made today, that really in the end, it comes down to the principle of agape. Because it's a bigger issue than just LGBTQ, isn't it? Because once this LGBTQ, I predict that one day, church will be much more tolerant and accepting. But then some other issue will come up. I don't know what, but something will come. Because every generation and every century, there has been something. There was Sabbath in the days of Jesus, iconography at other times, whether the, the Jesus proceeds from the Holy Spirit. I mean, there is this, this, every generation has something uh, that they fight over. It's the knowledge of good and evil. It's just, just the church does this. And so it's a bigger principle that we need to use. The Bible is very clear. Use the principle of agape on every issue that comes up. And we are in the clear. So use that argument and say, Jesus loves you unconditionally. You don't have to be a straight to be fully embraced by Jesus. That's not even in the mind, you know, at all. And I think that will maybe help them feel more for Related to that, Kim wrote in and asked and said, basically, I also affirm my LGBTQ friends. How do I talk with my more conservative Christian friends about what scripture says about this? This is a very difficult question. What the, how do we talk to conservative Christians 
about this issue. One, I would say, lower your expectations. <laughs> it is extraordinarily hard to change people's minds. Um, I was talking to someone who was a political consultant in the previous career, and she said the number one lesson is nobody can change nobody's mind. Right? That just doesn't work. People want to believe what they want to believe, and they use logic to support what they believe. Is kind of the conclusion of many experts. And so, don't expect that arguments and logic is going to change people's minds overnight. But people are, especially Christians, have hearts. <laughs> And they, especially if they have loved ones who are in LGBTQ community, that seems to be the number one factor because love wins in the end. And so they want to see good things happen to them. And so use relationships. Feel free to send them this podcast. <laughs> send them any of the logic that I brought up today. I would say... For a Christian, the idea that agape, unconditional love, that is so all over the New Testament. I could cite six, seven passages off the top of my head, you know? The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through agape. Uh, the greatest commandment is agape. Uh, everything in the Bible hangs on agape, unconditional love. So this idea that we have to unconditionally love the LGBTQ community and that they are who they are. They have chosen what they have chosen. Right? If they don't do harm, agape does no harm. And so I would use that kind of language that the Bible is very clear that if the harm is not there, then it's fine. And so what is the harm? And if we are going to go to these few passages, then there are all these other passages that I just talked about today that we just don't pay any attention to or even go against. And like beating up children. <laughs> and so, you know, let's not do that. Let's use agape. I would use that argument, the, the appeal to the heart, the appeal to love. So shifting gears a little bit, what is the difference between a church that considers itself welcoming of LGBTQ people and a church that says that they're open and affirming? Right. So what is the difference between open and affirming and welcoming? Well, open and affirming is just full acceptance of LGBTQ community as they are. They are you can get married in such a church. You can be a leader in such a church. You are not a second-class citizen. But... So many churches, I would say majority of churches, uh, proclaim to be welcoming of LGBTQ community, but when you get down to it, they will not marry you in a same-sex relationship. They will not allow you, allow you to be in a leadership position. And the hope is that eventually you realize it's just sin. <laughs> And that's what welcoming means. Like you are a second class citizen. Like you are welcome to be here, 
we will have you. You know, we're not going to be overtly condemning it up front. We are not going to hear uh, preaching condemning LGBTQ lifestyle. They'll just ignore it. But they will act as if it's sin. And their belief is it's sin. And I would argue that such a church is toxic and harmful to LGBTQ's emotional health in the long run. Because imagine you come because it's welcoming, and they say they welcome you, so you form a relationship, you become friends, it becomes like a family to you. And then you say, can I be a member? And they say, no, you can't be a member. Or you can be a member, but you cannot ever leave. Or you can never get married here. That's a very difficult place to be at that point, because now you are in, in mesh in a relational network. But now you realize they don't really accept you. Such things have been known to cause tremendous emotional damage. So I would really encourage people to find out what the church's true stance is and really go to environments where you are welcome. Again, imagine if you're divorced and remarried. You need to be in a supportive environment rather than in churches that will consider you an adulterer. By the way, in our church, we will support you fully, divorced, remarried. You know, just to make that clear, we will conduct marriages in those situations as well because of agape. We, what we ask is, where is the harm, right? And we will go with what causes least harm and what brings best benefit. So, there are websites like churchclarity.org. There have been organizations that have been that have sprung up that actually investigates what actually the churches say and do. And so if you go to churchclarity.org, you can type the church that you are you belong to or are interested in, and you will find out exactly what they stand for. And I think those things are very helpful up front, because churches are being deceptive there. Welcoming, but not really. But they want to be welcoming, because it's, they're in a bit of a bind, right? They're in an untenable position, actually. They are putting themselves into a pretzel, trying to navigate this hypocritical, kind of very difficult posture. And so that's why these kinds of things happen, where they're being very deceptive. And I would say, don't go with that. It, it's going to cause emotional damage in the end. And so cut it off as soon as you can, because less damage comes. The longer you are in, the damage will accumulate. And go to churches that are very clear up front. I mean, why would you want to be in a church that's kind of deceptive like that to begin with? You know? You want to be in churches that are free and clear up front. Well, thank you so much, Charles, for that discussion, and thank you all for joining us. Um, please join us again next week at the same time, uh, Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, next week, we'll be tackling impossible questions about the church, such as why stick with it when it's been harmful in the past. Uh, so if you have questions about that topic, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to comment on this video or email us at podcast at riverNYC.org. 
If you enjoyed uh, this podcast, we'd love if you would just hit the like button, if you'd subscribe to our channel uh, so that you won't miss any future upcoming videos, and please share with anyone who you think might benefit from hearing this. Um, so thank you so much, and have